Welcome to Civil Dissent. These podcasts are about you. Ticia and Ron are speaking as citizen activists responding to the explosive conditions of our times that affect us all. In the spirit of the Fairness Doctrine, we will air conflicting views and you will determine what is valid. We will provide you with leads and contacts to government, business, community organizations, and more. And you take the action. In democracy, information and participation are key. Use your key, your voice, for a better world. Ticia and Dr. Ron have each traveled to more than a dozen countries and have studied political science, anthropology, and communications. We differ on our views, but we agree that our friendship is more than important than our differences. We hope you feel the same. Now, without further ado, Ticia and Ron on Civil Dissent. Well, hello, this is Ron, Ron Ian Haben, and I'm with my friend Tisha Bowser, and we're here for another uh, episode of Civil Dissent. And uh, our topic today is going to be AI and health healthcare. Does it help or does it hurt? Or is it somewhere in between? Um, we will get to that in a minute, but as you know, if you're a regular listener, you, we always begin with uh, some background and the check-in. So, uh, Tisha, what's caught, caught your attention these days? Well, the whole concept of virtual projection, which is not just projecting images onto a wall and having the images morph, et cetera, et cetera, but rather having actual objects like, for example, a humongous snake and creating a virtual projection that makes it seem as if, so, as if though this artificial snake is actually moving. I think that development is quite fantastic and going to be a lot of fun, whether it's in rides or special exhibits, et cetera. And the other thing that caught my attention was that uh, there's a lot of art being made from found objects, which I think the general public would have fun with, uh, whether it's picking up, you know, bottle caps and, and different things like that and, and making uh, objects out of them that are sculptures. There was a very famous artist, Louise Nevelson, who actually used to go around and she had befriended um, the... Uh, <laughs> She had befriended the different doormen at the Park Avenue uh, buildings. And every time somebody threw out something interesting in the back, they would call her up, let her know. She would come, she would collect it. And then she would collect these wooden cartons and she would create sculptures out of these found objects and the cartons. And she would create entire walls, some of which are sitting in the Metropolitan Museum Art. known One is known as the Sky Cathedral. They're, they're, they're quite interesting. And... What's fun is you can encourage kids to do it. You can do it as well. And uh, it's a way of recycling found objects, which is nice. Well, in a completely different vein, um, I've had some delight this week because I have observed that uh, <clears throat> the courts have uh, here in Florida have thrown out the uh, congressional district map uh, which was created and easily passed by the Florida legislature, created by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. And uh, guess what? Uh, surprise, surprise, they're unconstitutional. And the courts would have the uh, legislature redraw the map for the 2024 election. Um, clearly, uh, particularly in North Florida, 
African Americans lost at least one congressional seat. And um, um, uh, the village that I live in, which has about 3,500 homes, has for the first time been divided in half. So we can't uh, vote uh, as a as a block, as in uh, we had for the last 40 years. So this was done with a computer-oriented scalpel, and uh, it uh, diminished voting power for minorities in Florida. And the court said not so fast, even though uh, they were used in the 2022 election. Now, something similar happened in two other states. One is Alabama, where, uh, again, uh, African-Americans lost a congressional seat and their power to vote and their their um, um encouragement to vote was completely diminished and the court said not so fast this is unconstitutional the uh, state of alabama said okay uh, it's unconstitutional and we're not going to do very much about it and so uh, another lawsuit uh, uh, took place and once again alabama was found in violation and they are ordered whether or not they comply that's up to them i suppose because the supreme court has no way of enforcing but uh, uh, unless the justice department gets involved in uh, state affairs but uh, um, the uh, republican drawn uh, congressional lines in alabama were again uh, found to be unconstitutionally uh, prohibitive of african americans power uh, to vote now also uh, in the other direction uh, gerrymandering uh, new york state uh, went about the business, uh, the legislature went about the business of gerrymandering, and uh, uh, it favored Democrats big time. And uh, guess what? The, the courts have said, not so fast. Uh, that's illegal. And uh, you have favored a particular party. And it went to a lower court to redraw the districts in New York. And guess what? Uh, the Democrats lost a seat in uh, uh, in uh, in Congress. And so uh, gerrymandering uh, goes on on both sides. And what it does is disempower um, uh, American voters and de helps to delegitimize the uh, voting system as we have now, supportive of democracy. So with that, with my uh, observation and largely joy, uh, we're going to get into the uh, topic at hand, and uh, the uh, which is AI and healthcare. Does it help? Does it hurt? Tisha? Well, a lot of people feel that it helps, but I have to tell you, I'm quite amused at what they think is helpful. They think, for instance, that if you use um, AI, this will improve prevent uh, preventative steps, that it will be cost-saving, that uh, it'll, it'll diminish patient wait time. But the thing about it is that this, this improvement that they think is taking place, I, I am, I am uh, dubious. I am dubious of how positive it is because I think that the critical clinical decision-making process using AI is very questionable at the moment. I think you need more human interaction, quite frankly. And as far as cost saving, I don't think that should be an objective, even though realistically I know that it is. And in terms of patient wait time, I, I think patients would be happy to wait in order to be able to talk to a human being. I mean, they're thinking of having patient data available through mobile devices. Hello, as if though that's secure. There's a false sense of security being promoted all over 
the use of different devices. And they another big positive that they talk about is more data can be collected. Hello, while quantity is not quality. Well, I think that um, uh, this subject is rather new and it's also very old because, um, uh, for example, chat GBT4 has uh, been available. That's the most powerful um, uh, um, AI at the moment. And uh, it apparently is uh, teaching itself um, um, uh, and can uh, manipulate perhaps every document ever written, every piece of music ever created, every piece of art uh, it is aware of, and uh, it uh, uh, every bit of humor, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, the human record. And um, um, it is charged with coming up with conclusions or analyses. Some of it is very right on. Others are certainly prone to mistake um, and uh, and um, uh, false information. So you do have to check that out. I think the background, though, is um, in humanity. Has the, is the wheel positive? Is the printing press positive? Is radio positive? Is air, are airplanes positive? And uh, to me, it really comes down to the user. Uh, all of these have good and bad potential. And uh, it's up to the human heart and the desires uh, of uh, this has great potential to help. It also can harm. And I think Letitia makes a good point about the impersonality of, of this um, uh, replacing perhaps the doctor's visit. Um, even uh, uh, if you into uh, um, being uh, in therapy, uh, is there a difference between going to someone's office and getting the full body contact versus being um, in your uh, office or living room and just seeing your therapist and hearing your therapist from the waist up? Uh, I think, in my own opinion, the experience is very different and the in-person uh, with another human being is more valuable. Um, but uh, we're at the beginning of this and uh, uh, perhaps uh, we will be subject very soon to specific conclusions. What do you think? Well, I think we have to be very careful because everything that you mentioned, none of it um, had the power to do as much harm as AI has if it goes wrong. And I think that uh, this it's very important to, to maintain that human contact, particularly between patient and doctor, which is, seems to be, the distance seems to be getting greater and greater. I mean, at one point, I happened to call up the doctor with a question, and next thing I know, there's a $500 bill, which the insurance paid for. But I went to the doctor and I said, what, are you kidding me? You know, I called you, it's not even a 15-minute conversation, it's a $500 bill, and what I find um, is that that it turns out the doctors half the time don't even know what the companies are billing them, um, are billing the insurance company. They're simply given codes to put down, and from the code, then the computer determines what the billing is going to be. I mean, clearly, this is this is abusive. This is abusive. And they want to talk about how they're going to use AI to improve appointment scheduling. I have news for you. That That is it's so disgusting that that it 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 just is nauseating it's revolting i mean when you're going to schedule an appointment and for example i had to schedule appointments for my sister 
who, who was handicapped and who was terminal from cancer. I cannot tell you how, how disgusting it was to have to try and deal with that to the point where I went down and I made such an issue of it that they put me through to human beings every single time after that. Well, um, I think that uh, this is the not nearly the first time that we're dealing with uh, technological innovation that can be dangerous. Um, for those of you who've seen the movie Oppenheimer, we uh, are aware that the splitting of the atom um, changed the world forever and could destroy us all, and that the uh, atom bomb ultimately led to the more, even more dangerous hydrogen bomb. So we've been fooling around with self-destruction for a, a long time. Um, the idea too, in, in, in our time, uh, take Fukushima, um, that, uh, uh, nuclear power has powered Japan for many decades. And now they are, uh, dumping the waste into uh, the Pacific ocean. Yes, it's been treated, but we don't fully know uh, how safe it is. Um, and I, myself, and I think most of us have had ridiculous weights, inhumane treatment long before AI came along. Those are other, uh, issues, but, um, and again, I, I suspect I don't, I'm not specifically aware of how AI, uh, is going to help and the, the pros of this yet. It, at least it's too new to me. But, um, in terms of networking to see the right doctor and doing it in a timely manner and not having to wait several months to see a specialist. Unfortunately, that's been going on a long time in American medicine. And, uh, that's a problem, of course, that needs to be solved. And in terms of the human touch, we'd have to go back. And by the way, I, I would be a fan of the doctor with the black bag coming to your home and who knows your family for years and years. Uh, that probably is gone unless you can pay for um, very specialized uh, uh, um, exclusive care. But um, nonetheless, uh, there's the ability to help, there's the ability to hurt, and we're just at the beginning of learning about this process. Well, what's really sad, and uh, I say this after just having come, quite frankly, with a conversation with two doctors that were discussing how, uh, unfortunately, AI, which is prematurely being relied on by the medical community. For example, one of the things that they're leaning towards is AI assisting with explaining to the patient diagnosis. I mean, I can't imagine anything more impersonal than that. And with that, we've come up to the edge of our first segment here. You're listening to Civil Dissent. I'm Ron Ian Haben. I'm with my friend Leticia Bowser, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned.
and welcome back to Civil Dissent. Uh, before we proceed, we do want to do just a couple of mentions for you. We uh, appreciate all the help that uh, we're getting and support uh, from a locally produced podcast called Scotch and Good Conversation with our friend Peter, and we suggest you tune into this Orlando-based podcast. It's very, very interesting, and he's one of the best interviewers I've come across. Another, true, true, true. Yeah, and another is um, uh, Reclaiming Pride with uh, Sally, and uh, she also does a very, very interesting, in-depth, thought-provoking podcast, again, right here in Orlando. She's part of our uh, local podcast community. Also true, true, true. And we um, um, want to shout out to our friend Banks Helfrich, who has done a very brilliant job of creating something called Dance Party at the uh, locally here at the Winter Park Library. The third Thursday of every month at 7 p.m., uh, you will have uh, debates on hot topics of the day. And if it gets too hot, guess what? He puts on some, I hate to say this, disco music. <laughs> and and uh, the debaters... It's fun. It's fun. Great fun. The debaters and the audience uh, are strongly encouraged to um, uh, uh, dance their troubles away before getting back to conversation. And the truth is, everyone in the audience can easily dance better than Banks Helfrich. So he makes you look good. So bring your dancing shoes and enjoy the debate. Um, and also, what the heck, uh, Who they feed our soul and feed our tummy. San Julian Cafe, locally here in Winter Park, Florida, has been just absolutely wonderful. And uh, we would be amiss if we did not mention singularly the best production facilities um, in Winter Park, Florida, in the Orlando Metro, I would say, oh yes, the state of Florida, the southeastern <laughs> true, United true, States, true the United States of America, uh, both sides of uh, the Atlantic, including Great Britain, and uh, I, I can't yet speak to planetary superiority, but but he's on his way. So Castle Door Studios in Winter Park uh, is a sensational production studios, very open, very friendly. And um, um, there are geniuses around here, so you may want to uh, stay um, um, uh, and be aware of Castle Door Studios. Good, good stuff. And with that, uh, um, we're going to get back to our topic of AI and healthcare, uh, how it helps and hurts. And uh, Tisha, have you found a way that uh, AI could possibly help um, with medical diagnoses or the solving of diseases? Actually, the only thing that I am hoping for is to go back to an issue that we dealt with earlier on another show is I'm hoping that AI um, comes up with alternatives to um, using animals for experimentation by using computer models, et cetera. But other than that, I'm not that keen on it yet because as, as the two doctors that I mentioned I was discussing, they think that it's prematurely being used in, in many cases. Nonetheless, another issue that comes up with it is that whereas Amazon can collect all sorts of information un, unhindered very often, there are all sorts of regulation and social restrictions in terms of the, the, the type of information and how it can be used by hospitals, by doctors, etc., which seems to be a, a, a strange dichotomy there. 
that has to be addressed in some way, shape, or form. Moreover, um, the whole issue of jobs, whereas, you know, supposedly the last study done by the World Economic Forum showed that uh, AI would, in the medical field, would create about 58 million jobs. Ha! It also showed that it would probably displace about 75 million jobs and people. So I think that has to be addressed before we continue on on what seems to be a, a path of no return here. Well, I think that I wish we could uh, order uh, our order of investigation, but obviously AI is being studied by um, um, scientific intellectuals all over the world um, and uh, uh Probably money is the the main uh, uh, driver of all this enthusiasm, but AI is now the watchword in Silicon Valley and and similar uh, places around the world. And you know, I'm coming from a place of hopeful ignorance. <laughs> that is to say, uh, in my lifetime, uh, there was a hope that you could cure quote unquote cancer, or we can solve MS or Parkinson's disease, or make progress on uh, diabetes, and we're still using the same insulin that uh, we were using 100 years ago. Um, part of maybe even being an American is where is the progress on these other diseases? Maybe, just maybe, AI can be very helpful in the near future of solving some of these disease riddles. I mean, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, what they call Lou Gehrig's disease, unfortunately, um, is, is very, very difficult. And all other uh, forms of uh, even mental illness and uh, physical disability and degenerative diseases, uh, where, where are the cures? I, I find it not conspiratorial, but very interesting that uh, in the 1980s, there was a big, big protest about lack of research in AIDS, for example. And uh, I'm happy to say, after a few years of intense research and wealth, good funding, we've got a cocktail that will uh, help uh, AIDS patients live a long and healthy life. How, however, I'd like to point out that part of the problem still remains data gaps, which are gaps, for example, that take into consideration individuals' um, social environment, um, emotional um, environment, etc. And those impact the individual um, and their susceptibility to certain diseases as well. And that gap somehow still exists in terms of the information that AI is accumulating, vast as it may be. So it's leaving entire segments of population sort of up in the air. And unfortunately, that may be minorities. Yeah, um, just real quick, we have to ask the, the question, why is diabetes uh, more prominent in African-American communities, in Native American communities? Why are certain diseases uh, uh, more prominent in, uh, in particular uh, ethnic groups? And so um, those are questions I think that AI may have a really good chance of answering. Um, uh, anyway, that is the hope of the ignorant, and uh, our friend Zach is sort of telling us that we've already run up against time. Just one Go more. right ahead. Yeah, just one more note, which is that foster consulting 
which is well-respected, feels that 88% of decision-makers in the security industry are convinced that offensive AI is an emerging threat. And that is very concerning, particularly since so much of the information is personal um, and, and is more and more online. But it does help my composition immensely as it's learning all my good and bad patterns. And so uh, it, it, it helps me create a lot faster, whether it's good or bad, that's up to the critics. Um, but anyway, more if, human surveillance, that's what's needed. Um, well, if you're a fan of the FBI, I suppose. Oh, no, no, that, no. I mean for AI. Oh, I see. Well, we want to thank you for listening again. And uh, we're very grateful for your company. And we're very grateful for the feedback that you lovingly give us. And remember, uh, uh, you could find us and go to the website, uh, civildescent.com. And uh, uh, we enjoy your company, and we look forward to our next time with you. And for now, this is Ron Ian Haben and Leticia Bowser. And uh, would you care to join me for a cup of coffee con leche? Yes, please. That would be wonderful, delightful. And, Thank you. And on we go. Thank you for listening to Civil Dissent. If you agreed with a view you've heard today or if you have thoughts of your own, go to our website, civildissent.com, to find references where you can make a real difference. Take action and see you next time on Civil Dissent.